continue where we have been in the last several months. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 will be the text for this morning's message. I and my family thank you for the vacation that we were given last week. We missed being with you last Sunday. I want to I want to be an advocate for the podcast, the Rocky Point Baptist Church podcast, as I was able to listen to Josh's sermon during the week. I commend it to you. If you weren't here last week, it was a faithful treatment from the Word of God on evangelism, and it was a good word for all of us, and it was a midweek shot of Bible for me. Thank you, Josh, for your faithfulness on Sunday, and thank you, technology guys, for putting that online so that guys like me can go and listen to it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Thinking is not a prized practice in our current culture. Thinking's got a bum rap right now. If you look at the the state of our culture. Our culture has put a premium on not thinking, but feeling. Feelings rule. Feelings are the primary source of someone's judgment as to whether something is right or wrong. And this has sent our culture into an absolute tailspin. If you look at what's wrong in the world, if you look at what's wrong in America, it's that we as people, collectively, not necessarily us, but we as a society have put a premium on feelings and we let our feelings guide our discernment of what is right and wrong. And the tough news is, that very issue is creeping into the church. It's not a societal issue only. It is coming into the church. This drive to be feelings-based has had a detrimental impact on preaching in the church. You can go to many churches, and you can see a man stand in a pulpit, open a Bible, read a verse and launch off into the wild blue yonder and proclaim what he thinks and what he feels about something with the goal of making all of his hearers feel good about themselves. We practice here, as we did last Sunday and the Sunday before, and this Sunday we we believe in expository preaching. We believe in opening this Bible and saying, here's what the Lord says. And expository preaching, I want you to know, requires the preacher to think all week long and to ponder the truths of the Scriptures so that he can be ready to say, here's what the Lord says from His Word on Sunday morning. And I want you to know that expository preaching requires the listeners to think. You can't check out on an expository sermon. You've got to think. You've got to work hard with me. Last Sunday, hard with Josh to think and to process the Word of God. It's had a detrimental impact on our music in church. A, a lot of music that we are prone to sing, and I'm talking about the church at large, is intellectually lacking integrity. <laughs> A lot of the music that has permeated the church in America is what I'll call Christian top 40 music. And if you look at some of the lyrics of these songs, they are absent of thinking biblically about the God that we seem to be singing of. 
I, I give you an example. Here, here's a song that, that just, when you really sit down and look at the words, it just does not make sense, biblical sense. You know this song well. I hope I don't offend you. But listen to this. My God is not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Roaring, he's roaring, he's roaring like a lion. The very next verse says, Let hope arise and make the darkness hide. My faith is dead. I need a resurrection somehow. I thought my God was not dead and he's roaring like a lion on the inside. But then the next verse is, my faith is dead. And I need a resurrection somehow. Well, there's only one resurrection that we need. And we need to sing of that resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he's living inside of us, roaring like a lion, we can't have dead faith. Those two things are not true. And there's so much music like this. And so much of that music has penetrated the church. And we sing these things not thinking. Because thinking has taken a back seat to feeling. I want to acknowledge a reality with you this morning. And I'm quite comfortable with this. You will leave here this morning and you will recall better the music that we've sung than the sermon that I will preach. And I'm not offended by that. It even happens to me and I'm the guy preaching it. Music does things to our souls. God gave us music. It's a gift and it helps us. You know, you want to memorize things, put them to a song and you've got it. We're going to do that this week, aren't we, with our kids? Music is a tool God's given us to think rightly about Him. But when we sing music that's not right about Him, that contradicts the Scriptures, or at best is vague and not specific, we're rehearsing these vague, unspecific, or untrue things all week long. It's funny how God has done this because the sermon, we absolutely believe the sermon is the pinnacle of a Sunday morning worship service, yet it's the hardest thing for us to leave here with retention on. So we need to be specific and we need to make certain that we pay attention to what we sing and to what we preach. And for the last many years, this pulpit has been devoted to preaching the scriptures. And it's been our urgent desire that we as a congregation be thinking Christians thinking Christians we are a mentally lazy culture and this has influenced us as well I'm I'm speaking to us specifically now I'm not going to look outside of us we are a mentally lazy culture and if I haven't gotten controversial enough already I'm about to get more so I'm going to give you three evidences of our mental laziness. Number one, reading has taken a nosedive in the culture and in the church. Four years ago, I had a man say to me, I don't like to read. I don't read history. I don't read fiction. I don't read biographies. I don't even like to read my Bible. I come to church on Sunday morning and I expect the preacher to read the Bible for me. It's more common than you think. Second evidence. Binging on Netflix is a popular phenomenon today. Now you be careful. I have a Netflix account. Okay? I'm not saying no Netflix, but I'm saying no binging. 
for peace. We turn to these Netflix shows and we watch a whole season on a day off, on a Saturday. Brings to mind when I was in high school and I was sick and I stayed at home and WGN showed Leave it to Beaver Marathon all day long. I mean, by the end of the day, I had a puddle of drool on the couch sit right next to me because I just sat there and zoned out. It's not a premium on thinking. We want to be satisfied and our feelings to be soothed. Third evidence, video gaming holds so many people mentally hostage by their thumbs. Our minds are captured and entrapped by our thumbs because we binge on video games. And all of our downtime, dare I say, even while a man preaches. And when we're doing that, our minds are checked out. We watch these balls go and knock all these blocks out of the way. We're not thinking. I want you to know this morning that that's not just my pet peeve. This has to do with the text that God inspired Paul to write. And I want you to also know that the Bible is vividly clear that thinking is really, really critical to the Christian life. I'll give you some examples. The Bible puts a premium on thinking. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, the very same Paul writes... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things of the earth. In Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and on the third day, I will be resurrected. Peter pulls him aside, and the scriptures tell us that Peter rebuked him. May it not be so, not on my watch. And you know what Jesus said to him? He turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, and here it is. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter rebuked Jesus because he wasn't thinking theologically well. He's thinking on the things of man. And it does not make sense that you would die and resurrect. Not on my watch. Last one, Romans 12, too. You know this one. I've got to read this one in a sermon like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I could go on and on. We could just be here all day looking at scriptures that call us to be mental, thinking, cognitive, processing Christians. We cannot check out mentally. And we cannot default to what our culture has run to, and that is feelings and emotions. They will fail you. They will not provide for you. They will not sustain you in the dangerous seasons of life. So it's the task of faithful pastors, and I'm trying to be one, to reclaim the minds of the congregations that we are entrusted to. This morning, with Paul's direction by the Holy Spirit, I want to reclaim our minds. 
And as I preached to you this morning, I, I love this. I was reading through Job on vacation. I think it's Job 38, 6. When Job is swimming in despair, he's got these three friends that are bad counselors. Elihu comes to him. And before he confronts Job, he says, I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. <laughs> I love this. I'm made of dust as well. I was pinched off from a piece of clay just like you were. And God fashioned me. So I'm like you on this. And I say that to you this morning. As I confront us about not thinking, I want you to know I've got to preach this sermon to myself this morning as I have all this last week. Because I'm tempted just like you are. So this is a collective sermon where I'm calling us to be thinkers in our Christianity. Look at the text. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What a lovely text. What a simple passage. Just right to the surface, there's three points that we've got to get this morning. The first one is, we have got to think rightly. The second one is, because of that, we've got to practice or do rightly. And the third thing is, that as a result of thinking and practicing rightly, the God of peace will be with us. And that is what we all want. We all want peace. And it's promised to us, if we get our thoughts, if we get our doctrine right, and then our actions follow. Then we have what we all desire at our core. So first point. Let's talk about our right thinking. Our right doctrine. Our right theology. You know, doctrine and theology sometimes are words of, of conflict. People hate the word doctrine. I've got a person in my life that every time the word doctrine comes up, she just rebels. Yet if we don't get our doctrine right, if we don't get our thinking right, we're going to go off into the wild blue yonder. God has given us His Bible. It's a book of doctrines that we are to set our minds and our hearts upon so that they guide us in how we live. So I want to look at this first verse, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, Paul tells us to think about these things. I want to invert the order. And first of all, he tells us to think rightly. Now, the word he uses here for think, there's a lot of different things that he could have used, a lot of different words he could use. But this word intentionally means an ongoing action. We are to think in an ongoing manner. We are to consider. We are to ponder. We are to reckon. We are to count. We are to credit something over and over and over again. We are to think about the right things. I think the best word for this is meditation. 
We don't use that word a lot from the pulpit here. But this is a call to be people who meditate. Now, meditation in our current culture has got a, a, a stigma attached to it. There's worldly meditation, sometimes called transcendental meditation. And then there's biblical and Christian meditation. And I'm talking about the latter. And it is very different from the world's transcendental meditation. Let me tell you how. Transcendental meditation is the discipline of emptying your mind of everything. Just a brain dump. I'm just going to throw all that stuff out of my mind and I'm going to get to a mindless state. And that absolutely contradicts the Bible. We're not to get to a mindless state. We're to practice Christian meditations. In fact, Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law and the Lord, and on his law he what? He meditates day and night. This is a biblical gift, a biblical discipline. And so we are to meditate in a way that we fill our minds with biblical truths. Fill our minds, not empty them. Fill them with the truths of God that are found in the Scriptures. And then what do we do once we fill our minds with them? Well, the act of meditation is talking to yourself. I I like to say, preach to yourself. You fill your mind with the Scriptures, much like I do all week in preparing to preach. And then you take what's in your mind from the Bible and you preach it to yourself. You recite it to yourself. You apply it to yourself. You look at your life and you say, how does my life align to what I've just poured into my mind from the Bible? Oh, there's a discrepancy? Well, Lord, now help me. How do I conform my life? How do I renew my mind to your truths? So I want to call you this morning to be meditators. Biblical, godly, Christian meditators. It's an act of worship. It's a provision from the Lord. So now we turn over and we go to the beginning of verse 8 and we say, great, we're supposed to think about these things. What things are we to think about? And Paul has given us a list. And for time's sake, I'm not going to break down every one of them. I would encourage you to take this list and all week long search the scriptures for substantiating verses that go with each one of these. They're there. I've done it. It's very, very healthy. It's very encouraging. But Paul tells us what to think about. He tells us to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely. What is commendable, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise. He tells us to think about those things. What are those things? They're not Bob Ross painting happy little trees and butterflies and streams. That is not what we are to think about. Many people do that. Many people say, I'm going to go to my happy place. I'm going to be in the mountains. I'm going to hear the wind blowing through the pine trees and the trickling of the stream. Uh Uh-uh. That is not what Paul calls us, what God has inspired Paul to tell us to think about. Those things will let you down. 
You'll stand in a stream all week long and not catch one fish. You'll enjoy the outdoors only to sweat and hurt from riding a horse for 12 miles one way. It will not get it done. I've lived this. I think that what Paul is telling us about is something that I've heard from David. And as I thought through this passage in the last week or more, I said, that really sounds familiar. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. That sounds familiar. Somebody else has written something like this. And it occurred to me that it's David. Psalm 19. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Keep your place in Philippians. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. I think when Paul tells us to think about these true and honorable and just, etc. things, I think it's a call for us to think about the truths of Scripture. Not the things of the world, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Not those things. But to think about the words of God. Listen to what David writes. It sounds like he's, he's inspired by the same Holy Spirit that Paul was. And guess what he was? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Think about those things. What is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise? It's the law of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The rules of the Lord. David says they're perfect. They're sure. They're pure. They're right. They're clean. They're true. Those are the things that are to occupy our brains. And we are to exercise our minds on those things. And by the way, I'm not against feelings. The feelings will follow. Feelings. God gave us feelings. But we don't lead out with feelings. We lead out with thinking. And if our thinking is right, here comes the feelings. It's going to be that way for eternity. We're going to feel good in the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because we're going to think perfectly about the Lamb of God who was slain. And here comes the feelings with it. So I think Paul is calling us to set our minds to think about the Lord in His Word. I want you to see this proven out. Romans 8, 5 through 8. In fact, turn there. This one's worth turning to as well. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Very, very clear instructions here from our God. It's Paul again. The writer hasn't changed, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has not changed. And Paul writes, for those who live according to the flesh, 
circle this next phrase, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And listen to this. For it does not submit to God's law. You hear Psalm 19, 7 through 11 right there? The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and it does not submit to God's word. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. So what is your mind set on, dear Christian? Is it set on the things of the world like Peter for that moment? Or is it set on the things of God? Is it set on the Word of God, the law of God, the commands of God, the precepts of God? Giant question for you this morning. But I'm not done right here. Where to think about the Bible, the precepts and the commands of God. But I also think that we need to ask ourselves this question. A minute ago it was, what are we to think about? And I say that's the Bible. But I also want to ask the question, who should we think about? The Bible is all about Jesus Christ. The law of God, the commands of God, the precepts of God, the rules of God. All of these are about Jesus Christ. Whatever is true, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 1 Peter 3.8, Jesus was the just and he died for the unjust. So you to think on the just one, Jesus Christ. Whatever is pure, 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was pure. You need to think on Him when you think. Whatever is lovely, Jesus said, as the Father loved me, I have loved you, therefore abide in my love. Whatever is commendable, whatever is, if there is anything excellent, Hebrews 1.4, Jesus has given a name that is more excellent than even all the angels. And whatever is worthy of praise, well, Paul said in, in Philippians 2.11, that He's got the name above all names. And that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We are to think, yes, on the Word of God. And we are to think, yes, on the Word of God who was in the beginning. God. Hmm. Do you think of this one? often does this one dominate your thoughts jesus christ and the bible have to dominate our thinking have to our jobs cannot dominate our thinking our relationships can't the word in the text and in the flesh needs to dominate our thinking 
and then work will be right and relationships will be right and all these things will be added unto you. I want to see this proven out. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. I want you to know it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And we are to think on Him often. And here's what we are to think. We are to think, first of all, that He is God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh with us. We are to think that He took on flesh. God who spoke everything into existence took on flesh and dwelt among us so that He could walk the path that we have failed at walking. In taking on flesh and living a life like ours, He never once sinned. And He didn't abolish the law, He said. He came to fulfill it. And oh, did He ever fulfill the commands and the precepts and the rules of God to perfection. We're to think on Him. He, the just one, died in your place, the unjust one. You need to think about this often. You need to think about the substitution of Jesus Christ on a cross in your place. Think of that. And the peace of God will be with you. The God of peace will will be with you if this is what you're thinking. He rose again. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is our answer to death. You need to think on that. He has been highly exalted. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, where He lives to make intercession for you and for me. He is the King of kings, right this minute and forevermore. You need to think on these things. If you think on these things, you will be carried and sustained through anything that this world will throw at you. Anything. But it's tough to discipline our minds to stay there, isn't it? And that's why we gather regularly. Don't forsake this gathering. We need to point one another to think rightly about the Word of God and the Word of God. In all of our circumstances. This is proven out in Scripture as well. Jesus in John 5.39 says to the Pharisees that are combative with Him, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. So the Word of God is about Jesus. If we think about this, we think about Christ. I love what He said on the road to... uh, Not on the road to Damascus, on the road to Emmaus, to these two downtrodden disciples who are down in the dumps that their Savior is dead. He says, beginning, uh, Luke writes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when we set our minds on this, we set our minds on him. But we live in a troubled world and we have fallen minds and we have lustful hearts that lust and covet after other gods. Our danger is that we are prone to make very little effort to think 
about our God. And this morning, I hope to recapture your brain (laughs) on behalf of Jesus Christ, to recapture your thoughts and to point them to His greatness and His praiseworthiness. Thoughts are like a rail on a train track. Thoughts, your thoughts, are like a rail on a train track. And when you get on that track, there you will go. So what track is your mind on? Your health, your bank account, your relationships, your work, unrest in the Middle East, craziness in Washington, D.C., talk show hosts chattering in your ear, polluting your brains and hearts all day long. Where your mind is, there you will go. And if your mind is not on the Word of God, the Word of God, you will be going away from Him. Subtly, slightly, or extravagantly and extremely. You've got to get your mind on the right rail. If you fill your mind with trivial things, with shifting and changing things, with false things, then you will have a life that is trivial, shifting, changing, and false. You will. There's no other way. You cannot miraculously think on trivial, changing, false things and end up in a good place. It is impossible. Many of you can quote from memory all the facts about weapons, sports, your work, your employment, your trade, history, weather, cars, and the list goes on and on. I've named some that I'm guilty of. And yet we can't recite Scripture like those things because we've not devoted our minds to them and I want to ask you what good will it be for me to be able to say before Jesus Christ one day that the Brooklyn Dodgers won the World Series in 1955 in seven games against the New York Yankees it's the first world championship Brooklyn ever won yet I have this kind of trivia in my head and you've got it for your work your family tree, your hobbies. And we have got to do some replacing. And we have got to put Scripture in the place of a lot of things that occupy our brains. You've got downtime. You don't need Netflix. You don't need video games. You need Bible. And you need to pour this into your mind and you need to think on it, meditate on it. So that you will become what it says. You know, if all you've got is is sports trivia and weather trivia and employment trivia and gun trivia and all, if, if that's all you've got, your life is hollow and shallow and trivial, and it will not serve you much longer in this life, and it certainly will not serve you in any way, short shape, or form in the life to come. 
The Bible must be the rail on which you are predominantly thinking. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's exactly what Paul's calling us to do. Store the word of God up in our hearts and minds. It goes through the mind to get to the heart. So that we will not sin against the God who wrote it. So we store it into our heart. How? Well, we read it. And then we memorize it. And then we meditate on it. And we pray it. This is how we think about these things. I've got a great analogy for you. Dr. Don Whitney, one of my professors at seminary, he wrote a book called The Spiritual Disciplines for a Godly Life. I pulled it out last night. And I got a great example from his book. I credit him with this. He says, he says meditation is like a, a cup of hot water in a tea bag. And if you take that tea bag and you drop it in and pull it right out, that's like reading the Bible. In and out. The water's not clear anymore. It's a little bit red with tea. But if you taste it, it still tastes like water. And so you drop it in again and again and again. This is like Scripture memory. And that water starts to color darker and darker and darker. And then ultimately you realize, no, I need to do far more than this. I'm going to put that tea bag in and I'm going to cover it. And I'm going to let it steep for five to seven minutes. That's meditation. It's the same tea bag. Same cup of water. But there's time involved. And Paul doesn't say... Think about these things and then get back onto it. He says, steep on these things. Steep. Let it soak until all the tea is out of the leaves that are in that bag. You take that bag and chunk it because now it's all in you. It's overcome you. That's a good mental picture of what we're to do with the scriptures. And in so doing, we will be able to combat the things of the world. Paul says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. Every thought captive. What do we capture it with? The Word of God. We say, all my thoughts are not going to the things of this world. They're not going against the things that rail against the knowledge of God. No, I'm going to captivate my thoughts with the Word of God. And that's where my thoughts are going to be. So instead of your thoughts taking you captive, and don't we all know what that looks like? Don't we? Have you ever been captured by your thoughts? Working yourself up into a frenzy. Paul just told us, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. Our thoughts capture us. Let's make sure that we let the Bible be what we're thinking. Let's get captured by God's word. And this is an issue of combat 
in your spiritual life. And I'm going to tell you this morning, complacency on this issue will only spell defeat. Only. You cannot be complacent with your minds. Well, let's look at the second point. I'm going to go a lot quicker through these next two. The, the, the first point was we need to get our doctrine right. We need to think right. We need to set our mind on the things of God, His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're to live rightly because of that. We're to practice rightly because of that. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Let's invert it. Practice these things. He commands us to practice, to act rightly based upon what we already have thought. He uses a word here for practice that's more in line with what we talk about when we speak of doctors and lawyers. They have a medical practice. They have a legal practice. That's what he means by practice. This is not a practice to get better at it, although that element is there. You don't want a doctor practicing on you to get better, do you? You want him to be an expert already practicing medicine on you. Many of us have had doctors practicing on us, and it hasn't been fun. No, we want an expert practitioner. Practitioner. You and I are to be practitioners of the Word of God. Yeah, we'll be getting better. And every doctor and lawyer gets better as they age in their careers. But we need to be practitioners from day one. We need to understand what it is that we should practice. First, we should practice what we've thought, so long as we've thought Bible and Christ. But then Paul goes on to say, I want you to practice some things. I want you to practice what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Now, he's writing to the Philippians, but he's also under inspiration writing to us. He wants us to practice what we have learned. Paul taught when he was in Philippi. Paul teaches as he writes these letters in our Bible that we read. And we are to practice what Paul has taught us. We are to practice what we have received. The Philippians received letters from him. And in those letters, he gives instructions. He gives instructions to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's given us instructions to do not grumble or dispute. He's given us instructions to uh, be unified. Syntyche and Euodia, to be unified. He's given us instructions to count everything as loss for the gain of Jesus Christ. We're to practice those things that he has given us that we have received from him we are to practice what the we have heard the philippians heard through epaphroditus and timothy no doubt when they went back with this letter they heard of how paul stood through prison in rome and they are to practice what paul did in those circumstances they are to practice what they have seen in paul in their personal interactions with him in philippi or how about when he's in a philippian jail before the earthquake comes they need to practice what they saw him and and uh Who was it with him in prison? Silas? They were singing and praying at about midnight. Practice that, Paul says. Practice these things. Be a practitioner of what I have done. Learn from me. This all falls in line with Paul's call to imitate him and those who hold to the word like we do. And ultimately, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so you cannot... 
practice rightly as Paul has called you to if you're not thinking rightly. You can't do it. You will practice what you think. Period. Period. So what are you thinking? Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. So even Jesus says, know right, but then do right. For to know and to not do is horrific in the end. And really, it's pretty bad along the way. So we need to practice what we know and therefore we read the Word of God, we memorize the Word of God, we meditate on the Word of God, we pray the Word of God, and then we do the Word of God. You've heard that from me for many, many Sundays. So last then, after we think right and live right, we then get this result. And it's a good one. It's exactly what we want. Paul says, the God of peace will be with you if you think right and if you do right. It's a promise, dear people. It's a guarantee. It will not fail you. God will be a liar if He is not with you because of your right thinking about Him and your right acting according to Him. He will be with you. And no matter what your circumstances are, you will be at peace. It's a promise. God says it. Many people want peace, but I want to know how many people want the God of peace. Mm. How many times do you want peace and God's not even in your thinking? You want peace in your health. You want peace in your relationships. And God's not even in that realm of thinking for you. You need to want the God of peace. And you get Him by thinking of Him and obeying Him. It's that simple. There are many gods that people turn to for peace. There's money, there's alcohol, there's prescription drugs, there's assets, there's fitness, there's Netflix, there's Clash of Clans. All these things. I just need to go get a hit on the game or in the video or check the bank account. Oh, yeah. God is so good to not give us peace when we turn to those false gods. He's so good to not give us that. He's waiting to give Himself to you through faithful thinking and faithful doing. So what will be the result of meditating on the Word of God, the the Bible, Jesus Christ? James tells us that therefore we are to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word. The implanted Word. Word which is able to save your souls. So, what are you thinking about? Paul tells us with David to think about the Lord and his word and his person and his work. The person of Christ and the work of Christ. So, I conclude with this your thoughts are like a rail on a train track. Where that rail goes, if your thoughts are upon it, there you will be. Make certain that your thoughts are on the rail of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. If you're not on these rails, 
It is absolutely this morning time to make a change. You have got to change this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and your thinking is not on Him, which makes sense, I'm inviting you this morning to get on the rail of the Word of God. Bible and Son, the Word of God. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Think rightly, do rightly, and receive the God of peace and enjoy Him forever. That's an invitation to you this morning. I'd love to talk with you about that this morning. You come down and see me this morning after all of this. And I'd love to instruct you and set up some times to walk you down those paths. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and you're like me and you've got seasons of life, and maybe you're in one of them right now where your thoughts have run amok on all kinds of seemingly good things, but if they are not God, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Word, They're not good things. They're inferior things. I'm going to ask you this morning to change your discipline of thinking. And I'd love for you to come talk to me about how we can do that. I've got some tools that I use that I'll try try to share with you and see if they work with you. But either way, you have to respond this morning to God's call to set your mind on Him. Father, we have gathered in the name of of Jesus Christ, we have at least for these minutes set our minds, thought about you and your word. The problem is, Lord, we leave moments like this and we go into isolation and we allow through a lack of discipline the things of the world to occupy our minds. I pray this morning that you have reclaimed our minds to some degree for your glory and for our benefit. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.